yesterday so he wasn't really um in the mid for recording a podcast Yasmin was but tried to reschedule it for today but Mark was busy and so I thought what the hell we were supposed to be talking about voodoo and I thought I would just do you know something for you to listen to just to introduce you to some of the characters from the voodoo um culture so what I'm going to do is read to you the descriptions of various loa of voodoo. So the loa are the spirits that people who practice voodoo, they basically invoke or invite to possess them. So loa are spirits of the Haitian voodoo or voodoo and Louisiana voodoo. They are also referred to as mysteries or the invisibles and are intermediaries between Bondi, which is the supreme creator of the Voodoo religion, who is he's distant from the world and humanity, and unlike saints or angels, however, they are not simply prayed to, they are also served. So Laos, they are a bit like a mixture of saints and spirits whereby if you need help with something in particular there would be a particular law that you would pray to and offer maybe animal sacrifice or certain foods and drinks or tobacco and they would come and either help you out or if you're like a priest or you have a relationship with this law they will come and mount you or ride you which for a Scottish person is quite a funny thing to say because a ride is basically like a shag or something so it's like a fine ride or whatever you want to say so I thought I would just read out these lists of the lal and then when we talk about it more in depth next week um you might under you might recognize a few of them and so I'll start now this is in al- alphabetical order so there's Aida she is the female counterpart Aida the female counterpart so there's not really much else into that she's just maybe the female counterpart of the great creator i think then we've got ad jaso or a jazzo he is characterized by protruding eyes and he's got bad humor he lives under the mombin tree near a spring and he's very fond of vermouth rum and cognac then we have a gaso or Gasu. So he is Dahomin in origin and he belongs to the Fawn or Yoruba tribes. 
When a person is possessed by a gasu, his hands become crooked and stiffened, therefore resembling claws. In Dahomey, he is the result of a union between a panther and a woman. He is associated with water deities and he sometimes takes the form of a crab. He is one of the mythical creatures who once gave assistance to the ancestor and he's considered one of the Loa Masons. I'm not sure what any of that means, to be fair. Then we have Agau. Agau is a very violent god. So the earth tremors and the frightening sounds associated with storms are because of Agau. The trance is induced by his mountain, so that's when you're possessed by Agau, are so violent that there have been deaths associated with his brutality. When one is mounted, one attempts to imitate the sounds of thunder and tremors if they are strong enough to utter sounds under the possession. The possessed person keeps repeating, it is I who am the gunner of God. When I roar, the earth trembles. It is said when the earth tremors, Agau is angry. Those who are strong enough to keep him in their bodies are puffing with all their strength and spluttering like seals. One has to be very strong to harbour this spirit. So you've got to be a really strong person. If you're weak, then it's dangerous to have him inhabit you. So we've got Sogbo and Bade, the Loa of lighting, light, lighting and wind. They act together and call upon Agau and then a thunderstorm is produced. Agau is the inseparable companion of Sogbo. Bade and Agau same the same, share the same functions, the Loa of the winds. Next we have Agwe or Agiv. So he is invoked under the names Shell of the Sea, Eel and Tadpole of the Pond, Sovereign of the Sea, one of the many lovers of Erzuli. Under his jurisdiction come not only all the flora and fauna of the sea, but all ships which sail on the sea. His symbols are tiny boats, brightly painted oars and shells, sometimes small metal fishes. He likes military uniforms and gunfire. He's a protector of seafaring men. And the service for Agwe is quite different from others since it is on the sea itself. They use a conch shell to call him during the voodoo ritual. He must be greeted with wet sponges and towels when leaving the water because of the heat. A bark is prepared of all sorts of Agwe's favourite foods, including champagne. This bark is then floated over to where it is believed the sacred underwater world exists. If the bark sinks, then Agwe has accepted the sacrifice and will protect the water, interests of those who have prepared the sacrifice. Were the bark to float back into shore, then the service has been refused and a different manner of placating Agwe would have to be devised. The animals that are to be sacrificed to him are two white sheep. Depicted as a mulatto with fair skin and green eyes, services take place near the seas, rivers or lakes. They must be careful that those possessed do not jump into the water. Any reference to signalling can only come as a pleasure to this god. Agwe's counterpart is Lasserine, the siren of the seas. 
In connection with Christianity, Agui has borrowed traits from St Ulrich, who is often pictured with a fish in his hand. Next we have Aizan. So this is Legba's wife, the famous Papa Legba, which I'll talk about later. She protects the markets, public places, doors and barriers and has a deep knowledge of the intricacies of the spirit world. She selects and instructs certain novice hungans. When feeding her or her husband, a black or white goat or russet-coloured ox is offered up. Her favourite tree is a palm tree. Aizan is symbolised by mounds of earth sprinkled with oil and surrounded by fringes of palm. Aizan is a dahomin in origin and represented by an old woman in personification. She's one of the oldest gods and is therefore entitled to first offerings at services. She often mounts people only after her husband appears at the scene. Her mounts are never severe, therefore she can sometimes take quite a while to spot. She is also the mate of Loco. As a mambo, Aizan is reputed to have many children, as in devotees. She cares for her children greatly. She has a good loving heart, but she punishes those who have made mistakes, not because she's a sadistic woman, but to correct their behaviour in the future. She will punish those adults taking advantage of the young, the rich of the poor, the strong of the weak, and the husband of the wife. She's believed to have the ability to purify her surroundings and to exorcise malevolent spirits from her devotees. So she seems like quite a good one. Then we've got Aida. So she is a female counterpart of Dumbala. His mate is Aida. She is the mother figure. She is the rainbow. Together they are unitary forces of human sexuality. Her symbol is also a serpent. She is quite submissive and very delicate. Her co-wife is Erzuli. It is said that whoever can grasp the diadem of Aida will be assured wealth. Also known as Aida Widow, her job is that of holding up the earth. And then we've got Azaka or Zaka. So Zaka is a lower of agriculture, but he's generally seen as the brother of Gede. For this reason, Gede will also come to ceremonies for Zaka and come when Zaka has mounted someone. Zaka is a gentle, simple peasant but greatly respected by the peasants since he, since he is a very hard worker. He is addressed as cousin. He is found wherever there is countryside. He is usually barefoot. He carries a makut sack. He wears a straw hat and has a pipe in his mouth. By nature, he is suspicious. Out for profit, he's fond of quibbling and he has a fear of and hatred of town folk. His vocal stylization consists of the almost unintelligible sounds of a goat. He is known for his gossip, he spreads, and for his girl chasing. He is young and he likes to play when not working. There are some interesting similarities between the sophisticated Gedi and the more bumbling Azaka, as though a younger, less sophisticated brother were in imitating a more secure older brother like Geda Yuzaka loves his food 
But unlike Geda, he's rude and voracious in his eating habits. He often runs away to hide with him food and eat it quickly. His favourite dishes to eat are the ones the peasants feed on. So boiled maize, bread soaked in oil and slices of small intestine with fatty membrane fried. Mm. Unrefined sugar. His favourite drink is white rum and his tree is the avocado. Zaka controls the fields and like the farmers themselves, he is very watchful of detail. He notes who is treating whom in what manner, who is flirting with whom, who says what to whom, etc. When he mounts someone, he often spills out all the local gossip to the embarrassment and amusement of all, and he doesn't forgive easily. It is rumoured that Zaka often appears in concrete forms, in this concrete form, he assumes a limp and dresses in a ragged peasant outfit. Then he begs for rum or cassava melons. Those that refuse to give him anything are punished. Zaka is a polygamist and considers all his children are inv- as investments. He stands for the incest taboo, though, and will not break it no matter how rich he could become. I don't really understand that. He stands for the incest taboo. So does that... Ah, uh, well, maybe he does, he's against incest. So I was thinking maybe because he lived in the countryside, he was a bit of a yokel and liked... I was stereotyping people like that as incestuous. So apologies. Next we have Bada. So he is the Loa of the wind. He is the inseparable companion of Sogwo, the god of lightning. That makes sense. Wind and lightning, I guess, go hand in hand. He also shares his functions with Agau, another storm spirit. And then we have Bakulu, or Bakulu Baka. Makes me think of Scott Bakula, the guy who played Sam Beckett in Quantum Leap, but I'm sure they're completely different. So Bakulu, he drags chains behind him and is such a terrible spirit that no one dares to invoke him. So he's a total worse cunt then. His habitat is in the woods, where offerings are taken to him. He himself possesses no one, since no one wants to call on him. People simply take any offerings that go to him and leave them in the woods. So, yeah, he's like a really bad spirit that nobody wants any association with. Kind of feel sorry for him in a way, but... I guess that's the way it is. And then we've got Bozau Club Lamin. So he is a virant Petroloa. Now Petroloas, if they're called Petra or Petro, tend to be the bad type. Like slightly evil, not great to be around. The negative spirits. And he's one of them. So Bozau is a violent Loa. He's capable of defeating his enemies. He's very popular during times of war. He protects his followers when they travel at night. Bossau's appearance is that of a man with three horns. Each horn has a meaning, strength, wildness and violence. Sometimes Bossau comes to the help of his followers, but he's not a very reliable loa. When a service is held, Bossau appears by breaking chains that he is restrained. Immediately upon appearing, he is given a pig his favourite food. The ceremony in honour of Bossau always pleases the congregation because it allows them to eat. Usually a good number of people attend such a service. 
And then we have Bris or Brise. Bris is a loa of the hills. He is the boss of the woods. Brisa is a very fierce in appearance. He is very black and has very large proportions. Now, what kind of proportions are we talking about here? I wonder. Brees is actually a gentle soul and likes children. So he's a big gentle giant. And he lives in the Shardetta tree and he sometimes assumes the form of an owl. He is a protectorate. He's strong and demanding and he accepts speckled hens as sacrifices. And then next we have Congo. So he is a handsome but apathetic loa and he's content with any clothing and he eats mixed foods with much pimento and he's fond of mixed drinks. There's not much else about him. Then we've got Congo Savannah. He is a fierce petrol loa. He is malevolent, fierce and strong. Savannah eats people. He grinds them up as we would grind up corn. His colour is white. He is a loa not to be messed with. Oh, I wonder if anyone ever tries to get him to possess them. I w- would that turn him into some sort of mad cannibal? Then Clusin and Chalot. These two loa are among the French mysteries. People mounted by these gods talk perfect French and seem to be unable to speak Creole normally or properly. Charlotte often demands upon the most defined forms of ritualistic protocol. Then Clusin can be recognised by his habit of pocketing everything given to him. Next we have Dumbala or Dumbala Widow or Dumbala. It's the same thing. So he is known as the Serpent God and he's one of the most popular gods in the Voodoo religion. Dumbala is a father figure. He is benevolent, he's innocent and a loving father. He doesn't communicate well as though his wisdom his wisdom were too aloof for us. Dumbala is the snake. He plunges into a basin of water which is built for him or he climbs up into a tree. Both being snake and aquatic deity, he haunts rivers, springs and marshes. Again, as a snake, he is rather uncommunicative, but he has a loving, quiet presence. Dumbala does not communicate exact messages, but he seems to radiate a comforting presence, which sort of sends a general spirit of optimism into all people present. Because of this, he's often sought after during ceremonies. I mean, I would probably um, seek him as well. He's so nice. When Dumbala mounts someone, the special offering to him is the egg, which he crushes with his teeth. Again, I don't really mind that because I'd rather sacrifice an egg or offer up an egg than have to kill an animal to like attract one of these lowest attentions. Dumbala is the serpent god, also lightning. He and his wife Aida Wedo are often shown as two snakes who look as if they were diving into the sink and by a rainbow. He is the bringer of rain. This is a necessity for good crops. People possessed by him dart their tongues in and out, sliver along the ground and climb trees or roof beams, falling like a boa. He is known to whistle because he has no speech. His special day is Thursday. Oh, that's today. And his favourite tree is Bougainvillea. White is his colour. He is in charge of white metal, which is silver. 
and he must be fed white food and drink. He grants riches and allows treasures to be discovered. Dumbala sustains the world and prevents it from disintegrating. Dumbala and his wife Aida represent human sexuality. He's sometimes referred to as Da. Like your Da. <laughs> I suppose because he's a father figure, that makes sense. Dumbala is often spoken of as a serpent. In the voodoo culture, the serpent is a symbol of fertility. He is one of the oldest of the ancestors and is so sacred that he doesn't speak, but expresses himself through hissing sounds, just like that of a serpent. In the voodoo religion, Dumbala is closely associated with the Catholics, St. Patrick. Okay, I get that, but St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, so that's a bit of a tenuous link. He is a Dahomey in origin. His favourite foods are eggs, cornmeal, melons, rice, bananas and grapes. The usual offering to him is a hen and a cock. <laughs> it is believed that if respects are paid to him by a married couple, he will keep them happy. Then we have Erzili. Now, there's quite a lot about her. So this might be a bit lengthy, but I think you'll find it interesting. So Voodoo does not have a woman as goddess of fertility. Fertility is regarded as a unified principle, equally held by male and female forces. Thus, Dumbala is united to his Aida. Agwe has his counterpart in La Serene, the Marasa. The twins are contradictory and complementary, forces of nature and so on. Erzuli is the female energy of Legba. She has tremendous power and is feared as much as she is loved. Also, she has several different roles. Goddess of the word, love, help, goodwill, health, beauty and fortune, as well as goddess of jealousy, vengeance and discord. She is usually known as a serpent that coiled upon itself, lives on water and bananas. There is a casual connection between the lightness of her colour and that of wealth because only the light-skinned elite possess wealth in Heishi. But Voodoo has a most special place for Azili, the Loa of Beauty, the Loa who is so uniquely human since she is the differentiating force between human and all other creation. She is the ability to conceptualise, the ability to dream, the artistic ability to create. She is also the Loa of ideality. She is a female prototype of voodoo who represents the moon. She is the most beautiful and sensuous lady in the voodoo pantheon. She is respected and wealthy, wears her hair long, is very jealous and requires her lovers to dedicate a room for her ritual lovemaking. Erzili is not a lower of elemental forces, but the lower of ideal dreams, hopes and aspirations. As such, she is the most loved lower of all. She is pale in appearance, almost white, even though she is Dahomen in origin. She is known as the Earth Mother, the Goddess of Love. She is depicted as a trembling woman who inhabits the water. She has no specific function, but is approachable in a confidential manner. In every sanctuary, there is a room or a corner of a room dedicated to her. 
Erzuli is fabulously rich and when she mounts someone, the first act is always to accomplish her elaborate toilette. The very best of things which the Hongon or Mambo have have are reserved for Izuli. She will bathe using soap, still in a fresh wrapper if possible. She will dress in silks with fresh flowers and other signs of her femininity and specialness. Her sacred days are Tuesday and Thursday. So again, I'm recording this on a sacred day for another Loa, Izuli. She wears red and blue dresses and jewels. As soon as someone is possessed by her, they are washed and dressed in finery. She's a high-class mulatto who walks with a saucy sway to her hips. She is a woman of the world and is fond of sugary drinks. She's compared to Aphrodite. She's pleasure-loving, extravagant, and likes to give and get presents. She's fond of men, but she mistrusts women as rivals. She is a woman of equitet, and when she pretends to speak French, she purposely talks in a high-pitched voice. She is a master of coquetry. She may simply visit with her servants, or she may eat and drink with great delicacy. She loves to dance and is the most graceful of all the loa. She is quite special to men and will dance with them, kiss and caress them, even in an often embarrassing manner. Yet she is closely associated with the Blessed Virgin Mary and her symbol is the heart, usually one broken with an arrow in much the same way as a dominant Catholic portrait of Mary has it. She reminds me a bit of Isis, the ancient Egyptian goddess or one of the mother goddesses. Similar to her but a little bit different. Erzuli wears three wedding bands since she has been or is wedded to Dumbala Ogun and Agwe. So she's got three husbands, I quite like that. She is often flirted with Zaka, but she has completely dismissed his more coarse brother Geda as unworthy, since he's black and she's mulatto. That's a bit racist. However, Azuli is always in charge and may take any servitor present as her lover for the day if she chooses. However, the visit of Rizuli is never fully satisfying. In the end, she always begins to weep. The world is just too much for her. At first, people try to comfort her with more delicate food or drink or other gifts, but her tears continue to flow. It is this tearful and sad side of her that allows the women to accept her in her haughty ways. She is, in the end, one who suffers the burden of the world's sorrows. Despite her flirtations and loving ways, Erzuli is a virgin. She is the complete converse of the crude sexuality of Papageddi. She may not be a virgin in the physical sense, but in the sense that her love transcends the earth, it is the love of higher forces. She belongs to the family of sea spirits, but has become completely divorced from her origins as to be now almost exclusively a personification of feminine grace and beauty. And then we've got the negative Urzili, which is the Urzili Jan Petro, which is a violent spirit loa belonging to the Petro tradition. Jan Petro is called upon to take responsibility for the temple where spells are on display. Although she is a neutral entity, 
When not called upon, it is the duty of the devotees to make them behave peacefully or violently, depending on the motivation for dealing with the spirits. Jan Petro as a protector of temples is very powerful. When people come to the temple, they soon find out. Jan Petro likes fresh air and water. She is a sea spirit. She likes perfume and lotion, and any temple dedicated to her usually smells like lotion, for it is thrown on those things she possesses. And here we have Gede, or Papa Gede. So Gede is the eternal figure in black, controlling the eternal crossroads at which everyone must someday cross over. His symbol is a cross upon a tomb, known as the spirit of death. Other spirits fear him and try to avoid him. He operates under the direction of Baron Samedi. Baron Samedi represents the deaf side of Gede. He talks through his nose, is cynical, jovial and tells broad jokes. His language is full of the unexpected. His tools are the pick, the hoe and the spade. He is the power behind the magic that kills. He controls the souls of those who have met death as a result of magic. When he appears, mounting someone at an invoking ceremony, he wears a pair of dark glasses from which he knocks out the right lens for with his right eye he watches those present lest anyone steal his food. Of a special interest is the testimony of Gede for when this god mounts his carriers they are bereft of any sense of self and they behave and speak compulsively and recover knowing nothing of what they did or said. He is the law of death, sexuality and keeper of the cemeteries. He is enamoured of women, makes constant use of obscene words and songs and performs obscene dances. Sounds fun. When someone is mounted by Gede, they put on a black undertaker's coat, a black top hat and stuff cotton in their ears and noses. This is to symbolise a dead person, so he turns you into a goth. After they are dressed up, they must then perform the banda dance, an erotic dance in which one imitates the movements of copulation. <laughs> the Geddes live in cemeteries and visit Catholic churches at night. On November 2nd, the faithful visit cemeteries and light candles in honour of Baron Samedi. Papa Gede is a much-loved loa because his appearance always brings laughter and joy. Singing and dancing, he is usually the last to appear at a ceremony. He is the loa of death and resurrection, is known as a total clown, he loves cigarettes, and is often seen smoking two at a time. He is neither good nor evil, but he is amused by humans and that's why he jokes around so much. Gedi is sort of to the underworld or afterlife what Legba is to life. He, he, he who controls access. Gedi controls access to everything in the afterlife. We are reminded by him that our understanding of death and life is limited and that both are beyond our comprehension. Gedi is also the god of eroticism. Eroticism is beyond good and evil since it is inevitable. Nice. Geda is neither delighted by eroticism and certainly not shamed by it. If anything, Geda is amused by the universal presence of eroticism and humans' constant need to pretend that it is other than what it is. It is believed that his obscenity in sexual matters is an affirmation of life in the midst of death. 
I can totally get behind this guy. Saturday is his day and his colour is black. His favourite foods are salt herring, hot peppers, roasted corn and roasted bananas. And he is known for stealing food and hiding it and then demanding more. His sacrificial animals are black goats and chickens and they're made to him during the rituals. When Geda mounts someone, he often singles out people who pretend to be aloof from eroticism. So if you're a bit of a prude or a bit shy when it comes to sex, he'll target you. He'll ridicule them, embarrasses them, exposes them in more ways than one. He's especially hard on whites since they often have the puritanical sexual attitudes of Western culture. Oh, okay. Geda is often called Baron Samedi. In this aspect, he is deaf. He is the keeper of the cemetery and the primary contact with the dead. Anyone who would seek contact with the dead must first contact and solicit Gedi, Baron Samedi, in the same way that Legbad's contacted to cross over to the spirit world. Gedi has a ravenous appetite for food and drink and doesn't mind manifesting them when he mounts someone. He has a dread of fire and shares a characteristic of a navel, nasal voice with zombies. Geda is a clown, an interrupter, a coarse fellow. He wears formal black attire and a high silk hat with dark glasses and a cane. He smokes cigarettes and drinks rum. And he likes to mount young girls. When he is pleased, he's quite a clown, but hard to handle when angered. But he is history too. As a keeper of the cemetery, he has intimate contact with the dead. He knows what their plans were what's going on in families, what the connection of things are, and he's quite generous with his information. Even when he is clowning or performing his erotic antics, if you can pull him aside and ask him a serious question, you will get a serious and reliable answer. Another of Gedi's great powers is as the protector of children. Gedi generally does not like to see children die. They need a full life. Thus, he is the law to go to when seeking help for a sick child. Gede has a power over zombies and decides whether or not people can be changed into animals. Any such black magic voodoo must seek the help of Baron Smedi Gede with these tasks. Lastly, since Gede is the lord of death, he is also the last resort for healing since he must decide whether to accept the sick person into the dead or allow them to recover. So here we have Gran Boa. Gran Boa lives in a deep forest where the vegetation is wild. He is a protector of wildlife and he doesn't like to be seen. He eats fruits and vegetables all day in the woods and when called in a ceremony he's usually not hungry but the people always have food for, food for him anyway. He is a loa that must be called upon before one is ordained into the voodoo priesthood. Next we have Grande Azalea. An old woman crippled with rheumatism and she's only able to walk by dragging herself along on the ground with a stick. That sounds horrible. It's not much about what she does. Next is Ebo Lele. He is an independent and hateful. He's proud of himself and ambitious. He likes to be exclusively served and doesn't like to associate with the other loa. He relies heavily on the people for his food, but 
the people are never certain of what kind of food he's likely to eat. Next we have Jean Petro. Jean Petro is a deformation of, John Pe of Don Pedro, the name of the Spanish slave. Jean Petro is the spirit leader of a group of strong and violent spirits called Petro. The difference between the good Loa, Rada, and the evil Loa, Petro, is still far and wide. Voodoo services are rarely held for Petro Loa. However, they do still occur, but most services are fa for family and Rada Loa, as in the good ones. Some say that Jean Petro was brought about by Don Pedro, who was a Negro slave of Spanish origin. He acquired much influence by being denounced as the instigator of some alarming plots to overthrow the government. Because of this, he symbolises resistance, force, uprisings and a sort of black power ideology. Next we have Calfu or Carafour or Calfau. Legba is twinned with his petrol opposite. Calfu too controls the crossroads. Actually, were it not for him, the world would be more rational, a better place. But not unlike Pandora in Greek religion and myth, Calfu controls the evil forces of the spirit world. He allows the crossing of bad luck, deliberate destruction, misfortune and injustice. Calfu controls the in-between points of the crossroads, the off-centre points. Legba controls the positive spirits of the day. Kalfu controls the malevolent spirits of the night. Yet Kalfu can control these evil spirits too. He's strong and tall, muscular. People do not speak in his presence. When he mounts a person, everyone at the service stops speaking because he allows evil Loa to come into the ceremony. He claims that most of the important Loa know him and he collaborates with them. Kalfu says that some people claim he is a demon, but he denies this. He is a respected Loa, and, but he's not liked much. He is the Grand Master of Charms and Sorceries and is closely associated with black magic. Ceremonies are often held at the crossroads. The origin of darkness, the moon is his symbol. He can be placated, but he is very a violent and dangerous Loa. Kalfu is similar to Pandora in that he controls the gate comings and goings of bad spirits. He controls the off-centre points of the crossroads. He has knowledge of the human condition and develops ways to help individuals cope with their problems. He has experience dealing with all kinds of people. Kalfu is a magician and likes to use tree leaves in his magic. He has the ability to change people into animals and then control their minds. So I guess that's like a zombie then. Then we have Crabbenay. Crabbenay Loa are Petro Loa. They dress all in red and do high impressive jumps. People are warned to stay away from Crabbenay. However, they are very tough and can offer a great deal of assistance to a Hungan. These Loa behave in a truly devilish way. Possessions induced by them are so violent that spectators are advised to keep their distance. They take pleasure in cynicism. However, they undertake treatment of desperate cases. Despite their admission of creation by God, they avoid mentioning his name. Now we go on to the famous Papa Legba. If you've seen American Horror Story, he does show up in there. Um, he tends to be in that series a bit of an evil type God. Or maybe neutral, but 
I think they depict him in a negative way when he's not actually negative at all. So he is the old man who guards the crossroads. He is the origin of life. So he must be saluted each time a service or any other activity with the loa will begin. Legba controls the crossing over from one world to the other. He is the contact between the worlds of spirit and flesh. He can deliver messages of gods in human language and interpret their will. He is a god of destiny and is also the intermediary between human beings and divine gods. Legba is one of the most important loa in Haitian voodoo. He is the first loa to be called in a service so that he can open the gates to the spirit world and let them communicate with other loa. No loa dare show itself without Legba's permission. Whoever has offended him finds himself unable to address his loa and is deprived of their protection. He is the origin and the male prototype of voodoo. Voodooists believe that if Legba grants their wishes, they can contact the forces of the universe. He is the guardian of voodoo temples, courtyards, plantations and crossroads. He protects the home. If you are going on a trip, it is believed that you pray to Legba for protection from harm and a safe return home. As master of crossroads, he is a god of every parting of the way. A favourite haunt of evil spirits and pro propitious to magic devices. And it is at crossroads that he receives the homage of sorcerers and provides, presides over their incantation and spells. He is also the guardian of the Potomitan, the centre post, a post in the centre of a peristyle regarded as a thoroughfare of the spirits. The Potomitan is an extremely sacred object. Legba walks in his bare feet because he is in constant contact with the earth. He is a small, crooked, lovable old man. He has a small pipe with a little tobacco. He has a little food in his makuti sack. He has sores on his body. He's got a pitiful appearance, which has earned him the nickname of Legba of the Broken Foot. But he conceals terrific strength, which becomes apparent in the violence of possession induced by him. Because of his politeness and caring nature, he is greeted as Papa Legba, and he is a much-loved loa. His favourite foods are vegetables, meat and tabulis grilled on a fire. These foods will be offered to him so that he will open the gates. His symbol is the sun and all that is good. His sacred day is Tuesday. His favourite tree is the medicinaire baby. When he mounts someone, the person's limbs are twisted and horrible to see. The crutch is the symbol of Legba. The outward appearance of Legba hides a very powerful interior. Legba is the symbol of the sun, of daylight and of things positive. Legba controls the cardinal points of the crossroads. The interpreter to the gods can deliver the messages of the gods in human language and interpret their will. He is the god of destiny, honoured first at every ceremony, receiving the first offerings. He is represented by a wooden or iron phallus mounted in a little mound of earth in front of every house. So he's got like, so the, the cock, the dick is his symbol. <laughs> okay. 
Legba is also known to hold the key of the spiritual world and for this reason is identified with the Christian Saint Peter. His colours are green, rose and red. Lemba is symbolised by an iron bar. And then we have Lenglesu. So this is one of the Loa Freemasons. When feeding this Loa, all meat prepared for him must be liberally salted. He prefers the ends of the tongue, ears, front teeth and end of a tail of a goat. When this Loa mounts somebody, it is violent and his voice is highly distorted. Next we have Linto. Linto is a child spirit of the Geda family. He induces childish behaviour in those he rides. They walk clumsily, much like a baby who hardly knows how to use his legs. They babble and cry for food. The company Linto is and teases him, but only in good humour. And now we have Loco. Loco is a spirit of vegetation and guardian of sanctuaries. Mainly associated with trees, he gives healing properties to leaves, the god of healing and patron of the herbs, doctors who always invoke him before undertaking a treatment. Offerings are placed in straw bags, which are then hung up in its branches. He's only recognisable by the pipe smoked by his servant and the stick which he carries in his hand. His favourite colours are red and white. Animals that are most likely to be offered to this god are black or white goats or russet-coloured oxen. Portrayed in the form of a butterfly, Loco has an extensive knowledge of pharmaceutical uses of herbs. It is said that Hungans and Mambos received their knowledge from Loco. He is known for his good judgment. Often during conflicts he is called in to be a judge. He is known for his intolerance of injustice. It has been said that he transforms into the wind and listens to people without them knowing he is there. Loco has many wives and girlfriends who are young and good looking all over the country wherever there is vegetation. He is a personification of trees so, he's so he is so closely associated with. Loco is compared to the in, to an invisible Kungan with authority over all the sanctuaries in Haiti. The worship of Loco is much like the worship of trees, mainly the Siba. The Siba tree is the Antillean silk cotton tree and the tallest species in Haiti. Offerings to it are often put in straw bags and hung from the branches. It's hard to distinguish Loco when he has mounted someone since he is the personification of plants. Loco is also a messenger loa and communication loa, but his main duties are the vegetation and the woods and forests. He also watches over the agricultural tools peasants use in their everyday activities. The voodoo physician priests worship him and they get their knowledge from him. Next we have Marasa. So Marasa are twins who died in their early childhood and are innocent and capricious. They are thought to be orphans with no discipline in terms of good eating habits. They eat from twin plates and they eat all of what they are offered at once, always coming very hungry to the ceremonies. They must be fed until they are content and then they will listen to people. They have a reputation for doing harm to those who have forgotten to provide food 
or who have not kept their promises, but also refuse to take responsibility for any wrongdoing or illnesses. Next, we have Marinetta Bois Chick. Literally means marinette of the dry arms. This is a petroloa or an evil spirit. Worship of her is not spread over Haiti, but is growing rapidly in southern parts. Her ceremonies are held under a tent and lit with a huge fire in which salt and petrol are thrown. She is most dreaded, a she-devil, the sworn servant of evil. She is respected by werewolves who hold services in her honour. She is an agent of the underhand dealings of Kita, who is herself an outstanding Loa sorceress. The screeching owl is an emblem of Marinette. When she mounts someone, they behave as an owl, hooking their fingers, lowering their heads and scratching. Hmm. After mounting people, she talks of eating people and confesses hideous crimes. At the end, the Hogan and the possessed alike jump in the fire and stamp it out. For sacrifice, she is offered chickens that have been plucked alive, goats and sows. However, no one can touch these animals while preparing them. They must also be buried. Marinette is the mistress of Petro Iruj and wife to Tijon Pai de Sec. She wanders the woods and goes to her secret place where the offerings she shares with no one are left. Next we have Obatala. Obatala is a sky loa. He is a loa responsible for forming children in the womb. Thus, Obatala is responsible for birth defects. He is also called King of the White Cloth and all his followers wear white. Obatala's favourite food is edible snails. Next we have Ogun or Ogrin or Ogubadagri. Ogun is, tr- is the traditional warrior figure in Dohaman religion. He's quite similar to the spirit Zeus in Greek religion mythology. As such, Ogun is mighty, powerful and triumphal. In more recent times, Ogun has taken a new face, which is not quite related to his African roots. This is a crafty and powerful political leader. However, this political warrior is much more of an image of where struggle is in modern Haiti. Originally, he was the god of blacksmithing. However, now that blacksmithing has become obsolete, he has become the warrior Loa. He can give strength through prophecy and magic. It is Ogon, or Ogu, who is said to have planted the idea and led and given power to the slaves to the 1804 revolt and freedom. He is called now to help people obtain a government more responsible to their needs. He is of the Nago Loa family. This Loa loves the noise of battle itself. And this is most likely why he has, he is a voodoo religion's master of lightning and storm. By Nado tradition, Shango has these lower duties. Ogo Badagri, by voodoo him, throws lightning and thunder. So that's very similar to this. His symbol in Humfo is a sabre stuck in the earth in front of the altar. His past follows him in that Ogo's forge is a name given to an iron rod stuck in a brazier, which represents him. 
Ogu comes to mount people in various aspects of his character, but the people are quite familiar with each of them. Some of these aspects are Ogun the Wounded Warrior. Here he even assumes a Christ figure pose, which the people know well from their Christian associations. As Ogun Farao, he gives strength to the servitors by slapping them on the thighs or back. As Ogun Badagris, he may lift the person up and carry him or her around to indicate his special attention and patronage. But in all aspects of Ogun, there is a dominant theme of power and militancy. He represents a veteran of the time of bayonets. His possessions can sometimes be violent. Those mounted by him are known to wash their hands in flaming rum without suffering from it later. They are never given water. They are more like teased with water. They dress up in red dolman and French kepi and wave a sabre or machete, chew a cigar and demand rum in an old phrase, Gren mewe fret. <laughs> My testicles are cold. At times, the Loa Ogu interprets Dumbala's messages. If he is properly persuaded, he will protect his petitioners from bullets and weapon wounds. Well, that's awesome. He is covered with iron and immune to fire and bullets. To make him more comfortable, the congregation serves him white rum. Ogu's symbol is a piece of iron which he uses to fight his enemies. He is a respected Loa. He's also the deity of fire and metallurgical elements and red is his colour. Therefore, he likes animals that are red to be offered to him. For example, red or russet pigs or roosters. He likes to be saluted with rum, not with the more traditional water. Often this rum is poured onto the ground, then lit and the flames pervade the peristyle. The sword, or much more commonly the machete, is his weapon and he often does strange feats of poking himself with it, or even sticking the handle in the ground, then mounting the blade without piercing his skin. The members of his family are great drinkers, but alcohol has no effect on them. Ogun is identified with St. Jacques, the warrior general, and is often in the guise of a revolutionary war general. He likes cigars and rum. He has a passion for fire and likes the women. He's the spirit of fire and water. His favourite tree is a mango tree and his favourite day is Wednesday. Next we have Petit Pierre. He is a gluttonous and quarrelsome spirit who tries to pick fights with the audience. And then we have Petro. So Petro comes from a new nation of spirits forged directly in the steel and blood of the colonial era. They reflect all the rage, violence and delirium that threw off shackles of slavery. The drums, dancing and rhythm are offbeat sharp and unforgiving, like the crack of a rawhide whip. The bizango is an extreme form of the petro and it is sometimes described as a wild petro. Bizango occurs by night and darkness that is the province of the, j- the, the jab, the devil. Then we have the Rada, the Loa that represents the emotional stability and warmth of Africa, the half of the nation. Rada, derived almost directly from the Dahomean deity, is highly religious in nature. Rite is never celebrated without the performance of Mahi dances, a 
and without honouring and invocation of Nago gods. The Rada drumming and dancing is on beat, whereas Petro is off beat. Rada stands for light and the normal affairs, affairs of humanity. Then we have Simbi or Simba or Simbi or Simbi Adezo. Simba is the guardian of the fountains and marshes and cannot do without freshness of water. Voodoo rituals are held near springs. Several of their songs mention these sorts of places. He's very knowledgeable Loa because he spends a lot of time learning about the nature of illnesses of supernatural origin and how to treat them. He's either with you or against you by protecting those who have good relations with him and turning his back on those who do not. As part of Ogao's army, he is the chief of the Coast Guard and goes wherever he pleases. He is the Petroloa of the Coast, one of the respected members of the Petro family. He belongs to Rada because of his nature. Sometimes neglected by their devotees and gnawed by hunger, he tends to be cruel. He lives in springs and rivers. He cannot stand being away from water. Children who go to fetch water at springs run the risk, particularly if they are fair-skinned, of being kidnapped to work for him under the water for a few years, gifting them with second sight for their trouble. Next we have Siren and Whale. So these two lower are marine divinities, so closely linked that they are always worshipped together and celebrated in the same songs. Some people say the whale is the mother of the siren, others that he is her husband. Others say they are used for one and the same deity. Popular opinion says that siren is married to Agwe. When siren turns up in a sanctuary, the person possessed by her appears simply in the role of a young coquette, most careful of her looks and speaking in French, often offending the peasant servitors. Both the siren and the whale are often viewed as upper class. Next we have Sobo or Sobo Kesu. He is a loa of strength. Soba is a very powerful loa and very well known for his bravery as a warrior. When he possesses someone, that person must dress up like a general in the army. When he addresses a congregation during a mounting, it is like a general addressing his troops. Sobo is considered an important figure in voodoo mythology. He is a symbol of strength, the ideal of voodoo priests who want to be respected figures in their communities. Because of the strength he procures for his followers, Sobo's presence is continually requested to bring security and protection to the congregation. He who is with Sobo is protected against wild spirits. Sobo is said to have healing power and is often called upon to cure illness of the supernatural origin to his devotees. He dines upon goat meat and mutton and often lives under trees. His servitors wear kerchiefs of white and lemon, his favourite colours. Next we have Sogbo or Soibo. He is the god of lightning and the protector of flags. Sogbo is the brother of the free-horned Bosu. Sogbo is always accompanied by his companion Badi, who is the loa of the winds. These loas share functions with Agau, who is also a storm loa. When possessed by Sogbo, 
One hurls down polished stones, which are piously collected and used as symbols of the Loa. Despite their divine origins, thunderstones are not uncommon in Haiti. The spirit hurls a lightning bolt to earth, striking a rock outcropping and casting the stone to the valley floor. There it must lie for a year and a day before the Hoongon may touch it. So, the penultimate Lau, or Loa, sorry, the Tarau, or the Toru, Chua Grans. His name means bull with three testicles. This Loa is a product of the fanciful imagination of the people in Heishi, and it is considered a Creole Loa. He is the great Loa of the Jackmel region. His appearances are terrible. People possessed by him are seized with destructive rage and create havoc all round unless appeased by the offer of a handful of grass. This they munch at once. During trance, they bellow ceaselessly. And finally, we have T. Jean Petro. This is a black magic or Petro Loa that is depicted as a dwarf with one foot. Even though T. Jean Petro has a French name, his roots can be traced back to Africa. He is easily comparable to a spirit that roamed through the bush. This spirit too was depicted as having only one leg. This loa often protects and assists black magic sorcerers. T. Jean Petro is also recognised under the names of Petro e Rouge, T. Jean Payed Fin, or Prince Zandor, and T. Jean Sandor. He has a violent and passionate nature that becomes apparent when he mounts people. Um, yeah, you can tell that's quite a lengthy list of loa, but I thought I would just read them all out for you and see which one you like best. Which one do you think would be best to mount you or would you have possess you or would you speak to or pray to for assistance? I think I would go with Papa Legba and then I'd go for Baron Smeddy because he seems cool. I like his outfit. He's very goth. And yeah... I think I would just stick with him and maybe Azuli as well. I like the sound of those two. So that's it. I will speak to you next week. And Mark and Yasmin hopefully will be joining me where we'll be talking about voodoo in more detail. And hopefully it will be a good time. Take care of each other. Bye. Crystal. Mess.